Well, good morning. <clears throat> My name is Tom Shirk, and I'm happy to be with you this morning. I was in Erie last week, and uh, great to see what God's doing there. But this is our 6-8 weekend. We, are, we look like a high church, just like what maybe you saw at the Abbey yesterday in Westminster. <clears throat> There's a lot going on in Calvary right now. The floors are turn, torn up, and uh, there's groceries here. And this is our 6-8 weekend. We, are, we always gather on the first weekend of May to think about Micah 6-8, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. And it's making a difference in our life as a church. Uh, we do this because, uh, as we're going to see this morning, this is God's heart. So thank you for bringing groceries in. These are going to go to EFA later today. You came to the right service because you don't have to help us take them out to the truck, which is going to happen <clears throat> at the end of the second service. But there are a number of projects that we're doing over the weekend here. We're, we're, um, we're going to be around the safe house serving them. We're going to be involved in Habitat for Humanity. And of course, this um, food drive is a part of the ways that we are doing something together as a church to seek the welfare of our community. The 6A project over the years has done a lot of things. In rather fine print on the wall, you can see some of the things that we have done together as a church. Uh, in 2017, we did a compassion experience in which Compassion International came and they set up a big booth and our congregation came in over those years and sponsored 200 orphans from around the world. Uh, we had a meal packing over uh, several years and 350 plus thousand meals were packed and sent out around the world. Uh, we did a kingdom assignment just in 2022 in which we blessed our neighbors who were impacted most severely by the Marshall Fire. Uh, We've done food drives on each of our campuses, built Habitat for Humanity houses. We did a 6K walk for water. Um, a number of other experiences. One of my favorites is the Freedom 58 and Love Justice mission that Calvary Bible Church sponsored a traffic monitoring station in Ghana. And since that happened in 2019, um, 444 women children have been rescued uh, on the verge of being trafficked. Six traffickers. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I just have a feeling probably we, we forget that we did this. And the impact that that's having around the world is really significant. 25 people have come to faith in those two uh, and a half years since we did that. And you can still be involved in all these projects. It is amazing that you know, you do something small, and then over time, it really is a beautiful thing. We're, we're committed to being this kind of a church. And in fact, what I want to do this morning is a, a little bit different. We're going, to take a, we're going to take a little pause from Daniel for today to look at God's heart for why 6-8 is so important to us. So if you have your Bible, I would like you to open it up, um, and if you would, to the Old Testament book, the minor prophet Micah. You might have to use your table of contents, but that's what it's there for, to find Micah, and that's good to, to turn there. Um, we we want to look in the Bible, and what I'm going to do is I'm gonna, just going to give you a little bit of information about what the Bible teaches is God's heart 
for justice and mercy, what was Jesus's ministry, and what did all the apostles teach, and what difference does it make for us today? Are you excited about that? Okay, the world needs this. And the reason that God doesn't take us home as soon as we come to love Jesus as our Savior is because He wants us to be here in the world for the world. He loved the world, and He wants us to be His presence in the world. So Micah chapter 6, beginning at uh, verse 6 and 7, actually answers the question that maybe some of you ask if you're new to coming to church What do I have to do to make God love me? What are the ceremonial requirements of being a person who can draw near to God? Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Who's the person who could stand before God? Psalm 24 says he has clean hands, a pure heart, who has not uh, lifted up his heart in deceitful lying, here in Micah chapter 6, the question is asked by the prophet, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? What what does it take to draw near to God? Shall I come with burnt offerings? Shall I give a sacrifice? Calves of a year old. Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams? You're going to watch a progression here. In hyperbole, shall I give 10,000 rivers of oil as a sacrifice to God? Shall I give my firstborn for all my transgression, the fruit of my own body because of my sin? What do I have to do to come before God? Shall, shall I do all of that? And there are a lot of people who think they just do religious activity. They're going to make God love them. And that is not the way it works. All our activity is like a filthy rag. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the, everybody. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast and say, I did all these things and that's why God loves me. The the prophet is saying, shall I do all these things? And then 6.8, no, this is what God has shown you. He has told you, oh man, what's good? And what does the Lord require? What does the Lord want for you? Here's what it is. That you do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I love that. It is, it's not all these external things. It begins on the inside of our heart that we have a transformation because of faith that we're right with God by a heart that says, I love you most, I walk humbly with you, and my humble walk with God manifests itself in these two interesting phrases. I do justice and I love kindness or mercy. These two words, the word mercy is the Hebrew word hesed, and it means God's unconditional grace and compassion, and it is a manner of the heart. I love kindness and mercy. It's a, it's a character of the heart, and the second word is to To do justice is the Hebrew word mishpat, and it means to treat people equitably, to treat people the same. Um, In fact, in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 22, it says, you shall have the same rule 
for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. When God called his people, he said, you will have the same rule for the native who's born in your country and for the sojourner who enters. It's equal justice under the law. This is a biblical concept. It's the same rule. There isn't a special class who get one kind of justice and the rest get another. God's plan is that you do justice. You treat people equitably across the board. And the heart of one who belongs to God and knows God and walks humbly with God, does justice, treats people equally, regardless of race, background, status, socially, economically, educationally, same treatment, same justice for everyone. I love that that's what the Bible says. In the Bible, there were four categories of people who were um, inclined to be treated with injustice, and they're mentioned. They are people who are on the margins, people who can't defend themselves, people who couldn't afford to seek justice in the same way that other classes were, and they were cared for by God. It was in his mind that these four groups of people were always in a society, and it was up to God's people to be sure that they were cared for in a special way because they couldn't do it for themselves. And Zechariah gives a warning. This is Zechariah, Old Testament. So we're looking at what does the Old Testament say about loving justice, being merciful, walking humbly with God? What does it mean to have equal justice? Well, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. That's the same word, mispah. Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress. And here are the categories. The widow the fatherless or orphan, the sojourner or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. This is the way God told his people to live in the world. This is who I am. I am the Lord, your God. So you have the same rule for everybody because there is no partiality with God. Isn't that great? None of us have an inside track. None of us have an outside track. We all have the same standing at the foot of the cross, and we trust in him for that. So God says, render true judgments, treat everyone the same, whether they're fatherless, sojourner, poor, or the widow. These were always in his mind that you would treat them the same way. And in particular, in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 9, in a more positive statement, it, it sort of commands God's people to open your mouth for the mute, for the rights. You want to circle that? That's the same word, mispah, justice. For, the, for what is due them, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously. There it is. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This is a man of wisdom, a woman of wisdom does this because this is what God does. God's heart is for these categories. In fact, <clears throat> you might remember this, but in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the people of Israel were told in an agrarian society that when you harvest your fields, you only go through it one time. And when you harvest and go through one time, what's going to be left there? There's going to be stuff left, and you're to leave it for the sojourner, the poor, the widow, that you would leave some of your crop 
for them. Because in this way, God legislated that his people would have in their heart the needs of those who were marginalized. They were on the edges of society and they could not care for themselves. So God created in the law for his people, this is the way you help take care of. And then it's not like a handout. It's like you have to go and you have to harvest and you, you actually do the work. And there's dignity in that. And God provided that in the system for his people to care for those who were on the fringes of his world. So we have been talking about Daniel and Daniel's and all of the people of Israel have been taken into captivity for what reason? Anybody? Okay. And what were they disobedient? They gave their hearts to idols, right? Also, throughout the prophets, you've been unjust. And you've been un indifferent. So think about this. Idolatry, injustice, indifference. And it, it, it was had so become a part of the people of Israel who were called by his name, and he said, I'm the Lord your God, so you care for all these people, and you love me first, and you follow me, and pursue justice, and love mercy, and walk humbly with me, and they abandoned God toward idolatry, and they were indifferent about the poor, and they were unjust in the way they did things. You remember when Jesus came into the temple? And he turned over everything. I mean, it was just like a, a style of life that we become self-saturated and think about ourselves and not the needs of others. Would you agree that that's possible even in 2023? Uh-huh. So it was in God's mind that this is, this is not what he wanted. And so um, we looked at this. Perry led us in this last week, but just very quickly. Jeremiah chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I've sent into exile from Jerusalem. Okay, I just told you why they went. Idolatry, injustice, indifference. Judgment finally came on them. They're now in captivity. But in captivity, he says in verse 5 and 6, Jeremiah 29, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there, do not decrease. You're going to captivity, but don't shrivel up. I have you there for a purpose. Live right where you are, bloom where you're planted. That's in the Bible somewhere. Here it is. Like where you are, you're gonna, you can still flourish in a difficult space if you walk humbly with your God. Maybe that's all you need to hear today. You're in a difficult space right now, but God promised his people, I'm sending you to captivity, but you can flourish there. And now here's your mission, verse 7. And seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, everybody, you will have welfare. I am sending you to Babylon, but I don't want you to shrivel up and shrink. I want you to multiply and turn your heart back to me. And I will bless your life. I will bless your family. I'll bless your crops. And you will live there. And after 70 years, I'll bring you back. But while you're there, this is your mission. You're my people, so you seek the welfare of that city. And you make sure that city knows that your heart is for me. And what if the city of Babylon knew that all of the, can I say it, all the immigrants from Jerusalem who landed in Babylon as foreigners and sojourners lived such an exemplary life that they sought the welfare of Babylon. And in the welfare of Babylon, 
they experience the welfare of God. It is an image for us that is easily transferable that we are in this world today passing through it, but here we are to live in Boulder, Colorado, and Longmont, and Superior, and Lafayette, and the foothills, and to live here with this in our mind. We walk humbly with God. It has to be important in our mind to, to treat people equitably and to be merciful to those who are on the fringes and to seek the welfare of our community because that's what God is doing. Now, would you agree that it's getting hard to seek the welfare of a community that's heart is far from God? But how much distinct evidence is there that a people who love God and walk with Him stand out in a city that's going the other direction? This is the whole story of Daniel. He's against the, the flow, but he's living exemplary, and he says... Um, I will, I'll serve you, king, and I will study what you want me to study. And you can call me a Babylonian name. I'll serve your kingdom because God brought me here. But I can't do this. And I can't do that. And Daniel's a story of living in a city to the best of his ability to seek the welfare of the city, but standing out in an exemplary kind of way. This is the whole story of the Old Testament. It's, it's true all there. And I, I think we've taken this verse to say this, is, this should be in our mind when we think about the city of Boulder. You with me on that? How do we seek the welfare? Well, one of the things we do is we, we do this. There are hungry people here. We build habitat for humanity homes. Why? People need a home. We, we go to the safe house, and there are women and children, victims of domestic violence, and we serve them, and we help them, and some of them come to church every week, and we see where in the community can we connect in a way that it doesn't compromise our faith. We step in, and we help people who have needs, people on the fringes, widows, orphans, uh, the immigrant. We helped immigrant families last year, and, and this is in our heart because we, we want to do what God did all throughout the Old Testament. What about the life of Jesus? Secondly, what was Jesus' life like? Did, did he enter into those who were on the fringes, everybody? Yeah, of course he did. In fact, his opening little preach that comes to us from Luke chapter 4, Jesus rolled into the synagogue, and he opened up the scroll in the synagogue for his first pronouncement, and this is what he read from Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the, to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed in the fringes on the outside and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus said, hey, this, is, this comes from Isaiah, and He reads it, and then He closes it down. I, I wish we could see Him look around then and says. The next verse, verse 21 says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. I am he who has come to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, to, to speak to the gospel to the poor and to help the blind and the lame. And I've come to minister because I am merciful. I've come to, to treat people the same way and to show mercy to those who are broken and hurting and on the outside. That's my mission, and that's why he came. 
And he, all that he did in his life and ministry was for that. In fact, uh, he got misunderstood a lot for what he did. People didn't like that he treated, that he was favorable. You remember how, how people were insulted that he was hanging out with sinners and broken people and tax collectors and people that everybody else hated Jesus loved. And he wanted to be with them. And he insulted the elite and the upper class because, because he hung out with the, on the fringe. And his, his friend and colleague, John the Baptist, went to prison for what he did. And from prison, he said, you know, it's not going the way I thought it was going to go, Jesus. I, I'm in prison, and you're out preaching, but are you really the Messiah? And in um, Matthew chapter 11, and verse 4 and 5, Jesus sends word back to John the Baptist during his ministry to talk about, you go tell John. Whatever you see and what you hear, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. A merciful God has entered into the world of Jerusalem and Palestine and the surrounding area to show mercy to those on the outside. Tell John this really is the plan of God, Jesus Christ. I came into the world to be this kind of a Savior who would love those on the edges. It was all about Jesus' life. Okay, you still with me? Good, Bob. I turn me to a because I, I want to be, I want to be encouraging and I want to be sober-minded enough about this. Was it important to Jesus to care for people who needed help in the world? Let's look. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter twenty-five. Matthew chapter 25, and let's just see uh, an amazing statement about Jesus that he makes about us and what will happen at the end of the age when we stand before God. Remember the opening question, who, who can stand before God? Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? It's somebody whose heart is clean. And the reality of a clean heart means my life has changed and I care about the things God cares about. In this parable, a severe warning, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Jesus speaking, with all his angels, and he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when will we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? I don't remember seeing you as a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you. And when did we see you sick or in prison and come and visit you? And the king will answer and say, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The warning is, he says to the other group, you did not do this. Depart from me. What is it? Does it matter if we're merciful? 
It's not being mercy that gives us eternal life. It's that we have eternal life that makes us merciful people. And we care for those who are around us. This is a very intense and severe warning from Jesus that we would definitely want to pay close attention to. Verse 40 says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, brothers of mine, you did it to me. It's really a proof of concept. I love God, therefore I love those in need. Okay, any questions? Old Testament, saturated. Love God, love others. Pursue justice, treat everybody the same, be merciful. Life of Jesus, cared for people who were broken, kept bringing them to him. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It was his heart. And everybody was hoity-toity and had their nose up in the air, walked away and said no to Jesus. And he said, those who are well do not need a physician. And he let them go. But the broken kept coming. And then he gathered a group of followers, and the followers said, if this is what Jesus did, this is what I want to do. So thirdly, what if we looked at the rest of the New Testament and all of the epistles, what would we find if you look through the letters of the New Testament? We've seen the Old Testament. We've seen the gospel life of Jesus. What if you looked in the, in the epistles? What would you find there? What do you think? Same message? Uh, yeah, we would. You remember when the Apostle Paul was walking on the road to Damascus and a light came down and he came to Jesus and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And he had a conversion experience and he was sent away for three years into the wilderness. And when he came back in, he was the one who had been really persecuting the church. And when he came back in, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2 that he met Peter, James, and John. And they had to vet him out to see whether he was the real deal or not. And he tells the story that when he was in Jerusalem, he met Peter, James, and John, and it was with some sort of question that they worked it through, and then they said, okay, Paul, you must really have seen Jesus, and you're really a true believer. We heard about you, but you frightened us because you killed some of my, our brothers. But you really are... A Christian, aren't you? And that beautiful passage, Paul says, so I agreed with Peter, James, and John that I would go to the Gentiles and they would remain ministering to the Jews in Jerusalem and beyond. And they gave me the right hand of fellowship, which is the secret church handshake. And they said, you go on your mission to the Gentiles. We will stay here but Paul, before you go, here's Galatians 2.10. They asked us, that's Paul and Barnabas, to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. I love that it doesn't say, teach them all the Bible. They were going to do that. You know, do, follow this. No. Remember the poor. I love that, that the other three said that to Paul. When you go ministering to the Gentiles, keep your eye out for the poor because they're the ones God loves. God came for the poor, the broken. Those on the fringes, that's who God came for. Paul said, we're willing to do that. We're, we, that's all we want to do. There, 
There's so many more passages that I could tell you. Um, in James chapter 2, verse 14, you know, remember one of the other apostles, James, said, what good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Anybody know the answer to that? How much good is it? It's no good. That faith can't save him. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving the needs of their body, what good is that? Faith without works is dead. That's what James taught. Uh, John, in his epistle, said, we know that we know love by this, that God laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or deed, a word or talk, but in deed and truth. All of the apostles taught this. In fact, Timothy Titus, one of Paul's protégés, says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good deeds. Why? Because when the people of God do good deeds, something happens in the community, that the community sees that the good deeds of God's people stand out because nobody else is doing them quite like that. And good deeds creates goodwill with other people, and goodwill creates the opportunity to share the good news. So when God says in all of the Old Testament and through the life of Jesus and saturated in the New Testament in all the letters of the apostles, he's trying to create a DNA in his people, in his church, that we walk humbly with God, we, per, we treat everyone the same, and we're merciful to those who are in need. And we are the engine that creates an appetite for God. Do you get it? This is, this is the whole heart of the teaching of the Bible and why we celebrate this weekend where we say we want to be a people who does this. Now, let me see if I can just close a couple takeaways. One is when we think that this is God's heart, what it ends up doing in a place like Boulder, is it makes the gospel of Jesus Christ plausible to people who don't like religion. You think about that for a moment? It makes the gospel plausible because the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense. And sometimes when you tell the gospel, people get turned off because it implies that God doesn't accept everyone, only the repentant sinner, and you're suggesting I'm a sinner? Who says I'm a sinner? That's our world. Well, God does. And so if we turn from our sin and fall before God, He's merciful to us. The gospel can be offensive, wouldn't you agree? But when God's people are in the world seeking the welfare of those on the fringes, something happens that the gospel becomes a plausible option. What is it about you that has changed your life so much that you would be merciful to us on the fringes and love and mercy becomes an apologetic for the truth of the gospel? <clears throat> we have so many stories here, but a number of years ago, we were working with one of the social services in the city of Boulder, and uh, we just went over there because somebody had a contact and we talked to the director and we said, hey, if you needed help from a group of volunteers from Calvary Bible Church, could you use them? 
here's a couple of things we've been thinking about. We could um, refurbish some of your rooms. We could provide clothing for your clients. We, we, we could help give um, job training. You know, there's a lot of things that we could do. We have a congregation of 700 people. We'd be happy to do that. And the door opened up and we got in there and we started doing a lot of things at this agency in town. So much so that we're traveled around and got to some Christian broadcasting company who came to Boulder and interviewed her, uh, the director of this agency, and, and just said, what did you think when a group of evangelical Christians came calling to try to help you in your organization? And her answer was, at first, well, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't even know there was an evangelical organization church in our community. Hello, hello, hello. It's like, yeah, well, the, the city didn't know we were here. It's like, oh, we need to get engaged. We need to seek the welfare of the community. And then she said, they've just been so kind, so generous, and talked about people who sacrificed for that organization. I love that that happened. You know what? Good deeds create goodwill, and goodwill creates the opportunity to share the good news. We, we're annexed into the city here, which means we no longer have a well and a septic tank. That's been a long time now, but you can't. Some of you can't remember, but that in order to get onto the city water and sewer system, we had to stand before a council of Boulder County planners, and we had to validate that we actually produced community benefit to the city of Boulder in order to get those services. And we were trying to say, well, these are the things we do in the community, and somebody on the panel said, oh, oh, wait, wait, you guys take in homeless people in the gym of your church, don't you? That was back in the, when we had a gym. <clears throat> it's a cafe now. Uh, and, and they said, oh, yeah, we like these. And you did this and you did that. Yeah. And, and we got passed through. Why? Good deeds creates goodwill. Goodwill creates the opportunity to share the good news. It makes it plausible that the truth about Jesus is really true and can change lives. So why do we do this on the weekend? We really do this on the weekend because it trains us as an organization. Um, we're just giving the mechanics to our congregation to say, if join us in the food drive. Join us in working at Habitat for Humanity. Join us at working at the safe house. Find your place of service and connect there. Um, and if I were to ask, do you think we ought to help our community? What would you say? Oh, of course. And everybody would say yes. And then we'd say, well, how are you doing that? I don't know how to do it. So what we do is we create the mechanisms that make it really easy for you to do something that you know you really want to do, but you don't know how to do. And then you can do it. And then, then as you can do it, you begin to make it a part of your own life. And what we pray is that every person of Calvary will look through the one next step that we will do. Where will it be? Maybe it will be with immigrants that are coming into our city. Maybe it will be with a, a community or a neighborhood or a school. Uh, we have a beautiful relationship with University Hills Elementary, and, and we're trying to make connections everywhere we can. Why? To treat everyone the same and to be merciful to all. You know why we do that? We're going to take communion this morning. And who treats everyone the same? Jesus. Who is merciful to sinners who had no claim to his grace? Sinners. You know, when you take communion, you realize there is one who really was merciful to me. And that's why he calls me to be merciful. There was one who, who dealt justly with me. Justly? 
Yes, he paid the price for my sin and forgave me. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. And taking the Lord's table is how we're going to celebrate that this morning. Let's bow our heads together. If you're helping to serve this morning, would you come forward? I want all of us to just pray silently now. And maybe the first way we begin today is, Lord, thank you for your mercy to me that your sins have covered. My sins are covered by your, your coming into the world, the Savior of the world. And I pray, Lord, as we turn to you this morning, maybe just examine our hearts. Um, have we been judgmental toward other people? Is there something we need to just turn away from and pray, Lord, let us have a heart of mercy, a heart of equity toward people. It's not a thing about politics. It's a thing about a love of God, loving God, loving others. Make it part of our heart here, each of us individually and all of us together as a church. And now as we take communion, Lord, we just want to worship you. We want to thank you for what you've done to bring us near, we who are far away, we who are on the fringes, without hope in the world, you saved us by your grace. We want to worship you with thanksgiving as we eat this bread and drink this cup. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to distribute the bread. If you just hold that, we'll all eat it together, and then we're going to pass a cup around. And you can hold that, and then we'll drink that together.